Welcome to Tamra Talk Circular, where we explore how businesses, municipalities, and governments are collaborating towards a circular economy. My name is Mitu Moran. Over the last few decades, plastic has proven itself to be very useful, even necessary, if used properly. It has good safety and hygiene properties, which has saved countless products and even lives over time. Its durability protects its contents from toxic substances, among other things. It's lightweight and actually reduces carbon footprint when it comes to transportation. But as the world looks to find solutions to slow the tide on climate change, several culprits have been named as to how we actually landed up in this state of affairs at all. One of those culprits that has been called out is plastic. To be fair, though, plastic in itself is not the problem here. The problem, as we've mentioned several times in this program, is plastic waste and how we manage it. So how do we manage it? One tried and true solution is a system that was first put into place in the 1970s, and that is the deposit return system. The good news is that implementation of these systems is on the rise, globally. But why is that? Joining me today is an expert that can help us understand that question. Michel Leuve, Vice President of Public Affairs and Head of System Design at Tomra, has been working with governments all over the world to get the right models of DRS in place and their specific regions for almost 30 years. And he doesn't even look it. Until fairly recently, his focus has been in Europe. But that has changed, and I'm hoping Michel can tell us why. Michel, welcome to the program. Hi, me too. Thanks for having me today, and thanks for the compliment. <laughs> it's a fact. So, Michel, let's get started. Just a very quick reminder, what is DRS? We've, we've had it a few times on the show, but just as a quick reminder. Right, and I guess that it has been explained also. But uh, anyhow, DRS is Deposit Return Scheme. Uh, in some other markets, uh, they might call it Container Deposit Scheme or even Bottle Bail, which is very common in the U.S. Deposit Return System, right, as well? Or deposit return system, for sure. Yeah, okay, yes. okay. Yeah. Good. And uh, just to continue, the, the concept of a deposit is more or less uh, 150 years old for beverage containers. It started in Sweden, uh, where a brewery wanted to motivate its customers to return the bottles to be reused. And this motivation came through the deposit. So the deposit amount reflected the value of the bottle. In consequence, if the consumer didn't return the bottle, then the brewery could use the deposit to buy a new container. That's the kind of the origin of, of a deposit. Uh, the, address, uh, the DRS we're now addressing today is uh, we will talk about single-use containers or one-way containers, which are only used one time. So unfortunately, a lot of those single-use containers, they do not find their way to a proper waste disposal in nature, be it terrestrial or marine litter. Such a DRS for single-use containers must be legislated. They are not uh, as a deposit solution for refillables, which are normally a voluntary setup between industry and retail. The deposit for single-use containers is an artificial set value, which should be high enough to motivate consumers to return then finally their containers. And uh, when consumers buy a beverage in an eligible deposit containers, then they have to pay a small extra amount, the deposit, which then will ultimately be fully reimbursed when returning the containers to dedicated collection points. 
And this is an important point, I think, and it's often confused. So this is a deposit. It's not a tax. It's not a rebate. It's not a refund. It is a deposit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, some markets do an integration of the deposit and the product price. Then it's called a kind of a refund. This is what we see in the, uh, in Australia. Mm-hmm. But uh, the clear uh, recommendation is to have it a separate amount, which is clearly indicated to the consumer, be it on the shelf, but also in the final receipt, which you receive at the checkout. And this amount should be also fully reimbursed when you return the container. And okay. it's a kind of, it's uh, you pay it, you get it back. So it's the only thing, it's a, the trigger point, the motivation to really return the container. And, and this happens everywhere? Uh, no, not everywhere. We have some markets, as I said, in, in Australia, it's an integrated amount. Mm-hmm. So it's not really visible. It said it's uh, containing a 10 cents refund. Uh, but it's not obvious on the receipt. Uh, and we have some markets in Canada where you pay the full amount, but then you only get a portion of the deposit back. It's called a halfback system. And this system is then using half of the deposit amount, which remains with the organization, to finance the operations of the system. Okay, so that's not ideal, I guess. No. The okay. clear recommendation is to have it as a separate amount, fully reimbursable. Okay, good. Right. No, and and I think uh, talking about deposit, so you pay deposit when you pay the, uh, pay the price uh, and the product uh, and uh, where to get the money back. And those are then the collection points and you can find different kind of collection points. You can have them at retail sites, which is called then a return to retail model. But you also have markets where you have dedicated t- uh, depots. Uh, even in some jurisdictions, you find collection, intelligent collections through RVMs, reverse vending machines, on the streets. This is, for example, in, in Australia, in New South Wales, we have a kiosk on the street, and there you can redeem your containers for deposit reimbursement. I just focused for the time being on the automated collection, uh, but for sure in many markets you also have in parallel uh, a manual collection. So you go to small stores, kiosks, petrol stations, where you can re- re- uh, return your containers, and then uh, it's it's a manual acceptance. So somebody is standing there at the mm. cash out, you give the container. It's inspected, you get your refund, and so it's for the consumer, it's a kind of the same thing. Uh, you can do it uh, through both means. Okay. Okay. I haven't seen that here in Germany, but I'm sure it exists. Well, yes, absolutely. Okay. So we've mentioned, or you've mentioned, some of the, the countries and regions that the systems are in place. Can you give us a good overview um, of where we might come in contact? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think today, and now we're Again, just talking about the DRS for Singulus Packs, you can find almost 50 uh, of such schemes uh, throughout the world. Uh, to be really precise, it's 49 actually, but it's a growing trend. We're all about precision here. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so the first uh, DRS on Singulus Packs uh, started back in the 1970s in uh, British Columbia in Canada. And uh, so it was number one and number two in Canada. And number three was already in the U.S. That was implemented in 1972 in Oregon. Uh, then the first outside U.S. and Canada was number, uh, I think, number 13 on the list, uh, which was Australia. 
So uh, in South Australia, they implemented the POSIN system in 1977. And then uh, looking into Europe, uh, Sweden was the first in Europe to implement the deposit. And it started in 1984. At that time, it was only focusing on cans uh, to be part of the deposit system. And then in 1994, it was advanced and expanded to also cover PT bottles. And in the coming years uh, and, and decades, we see a lot of more DRS coming into play. So in the, in the first decade from uh, 70 to 79, it was a total of eight deposit systems being implemented. Uh, from the 80s, it was eight again, and also for the 90s. Then there was a slight growth in, uh, in 2000. So from 2000 to 2009, we had a total of 10. And from 2010 to 2019, we had 11 deposit systems. And just looking at now at this decade, we have already established four new systems. And uh, it can be expected, and uh, we will hopefully talk about this a little later, uh, that more are coming into play. Looking now at the distribution, just to get an overview, we have a total of 12 deposit systems in Canada. We have a total of 10 in the US. Australia is currently at uh, six deposit systems. Europe and the EFTA, we are at 13. And some other markets, we have some small islands uh, which implemented deposit systems. Really? Yeah, it's purely manual, and uh, but uh, it's working. And they uh, reached the targets uh, they intended to reach, uh, return rates, uh, a reduction in littering. So we have eight of those smaller jurisdictions where you can find deposits. And even there, it's a growing trend just to get hold of the material. Okay. To get hold of the material and reduce litter, I'm guessing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Right. And uh, just looking at uh, 2022, there were three additional markets coming into play in, in Europe. Uh, that was Slovakia, Latvia, and Malta. Okay, you've just mentioned um, the different regions and even the islands. So I'm guessing this is not a one-size-fits-all system, is it? No, absolutely not. So there is definitely no one system which is exactly the same as the other. There are always some nuances, some differences. So uh, there are some, some points which differentiates the one system from all the others. And one finds differences with regards to deposit value. So what is uh, deposit value, the, the, the height of the, val uh, of the deposit? But also, is it a flat rate for all containers covered? Is there a differentiation maybe by packaging size? In some markets, we have small deposit values for small containers and higher deposit values for larger containers, which would make sense in a deposit system for refillables uh, because there you can assume that a bigger container has a higher value in, in acquisition, hence you need a higher price. On the, uh, on the deposit value for, for single-use containers, it's rather about the motivation and the consumption. So small containers, they're mainly consumed or often consumed away from home. So it would make a lot of sense to have a higher motivation to carry on those containers and get them to dedicated locations for the return. 
than for the big containers, which you consume at home. There's easy to store and to collect them for redemption. So it's, it's kind of uh, opposite to how it would probably work better. But uh, that's, that's the case today. But uh, many markets now looking into deposits, they're really looking into, into flat rates or flat deposit values. Other solutions for differentiations could be uh, beverage categories covered. So it's the classical ones, it's soft drinks, it's beers. Uh, now more and more fruit juices and nectars. Some con uh, countries are looking into alcoholic drinks, wines, spirits, liquors. Then it's about the packaging material covered. I talked about Sweden, which started with cans only advanced to PET, but still they're not looking into the glass. So you have uh, a set of different systems. Uh, Netherlands, for example, they started only with the large PET bottles. Then in 2021, they advanced it to small PET bottles. And just this year, in April, they will also intake uh, the, the cans, but still not considering glass. Germany has glass as well, Finland as well. So it's there, there is also differentiation by that. And why is that? Why are these differentiations? Why do they exist? It's uh, in some markets, uh, especially now looking into new models, uh, some are of the opinion that some of the systems work fairly well, uh, especially on the, on the glass side. So you have an infrastructure for the collection of glass, mainly at drop-off locations like Iglos. And uh, those oh. reach fairly good results and hence uh, the question is do we really need to integrate on the other hand one could say the bigger the end uh, the, the kind of the universe of containers of course this also is something to leverage on you have kind of economies of scale you have amortization through more containers so there are pros and cons and all jurisdictions today and all the ones looking into deposits going forward it's really it's about plastics there's no doubt plastic is part of this and cats. Uh, and glass could be a question. Now in the, in the recent years, uh, it's also Tetra Pak or liquid paperboard, Tetra as a brand, but uh, liquid paperboards, which are also looked into. And we see uh, trends also in, in direction of liquid paperboards. It's uh, jurisdictions like Quebec, which is now up for renewal uh, this year they will take liquid paperboard into consideration. We are working in a market in Latin, which is also looking at in liquid paperboard as being part of the considered containers. So um, maybe in the future, this is could become a kind of a common packaging also being part of a deposit system. Uh, just just to finish uh, the the kind of the, the list of differentiation uh, means uh, it could be managed operated by a central organization for example so you have one entity which is fully taking care of the management the operation of the system but you can also have decentralized systems where there is no one central organization but might maybe you have more players or maybe you have no central player at all which for sure requires then some clear governance, um, some com some clear kind of rule rules for all the players uh, participating in the market. Financing, to mention one more of the system, could also vary. And, and there are some more variations. So 
not one system is the same as the other. Um, in Europe, for example, we have a clear return to retail mandate. So uh, retailers selling the beverages, they're also obligated to take the eligible containers then back. And of course, there you might have some exemptions with regards to take back obligation. Germany, for example, if you look at exemptions, it's 200 square meter stores and below. They are only obligated to take back the packaging materials and the brands they're selling. So if I'm a small shop, a kiosk, for example, selling a Coke can, then I'm obligated to take this Coke can back, but I don't need to take back a beer can. Oh. Then we have stores above 200 square meters and they must take back all the materials they are selling with no limits to the brands. What does that mean? So I'm, I'm selling um, PT water, one brand. By doing that, being above 200 square meters, then I have to accept all other plastic bottles. It could be a private label from another retailer. It could be a global brand. I need to take back everything. But I don't need to take back cans and glass if I'm not selling. It's, it's only really focusing on the material of the packaging. Okay. That's the kind of the differentiation. And just to, to add uh, to the German, just to, to kind of explain a little more, we have around 130,000 collection points, mm -hmm. out of which only 30,000 are equipped with RVM technology. And the total of RVM technology is around 45,000 machines. And due to the decentralized system set up, the automated return ratio is difficult to assume because we don't have the numbers. There is no overview of sales versus return. And But it's said that the return rate in Germany is around 98%. So 98, only two out of 100 containers which are sold in single use in Germany are not returned back to the system. Any other system that can beat that? What does at least as well? No, the 98% the is unbeatable. Uh, so far. And uh, of course, we're looking for a, a new system coming into play, which is beating the 98%. But uh, a lot, a lot of the, of the well-designed systems, they reach 90% and more. So that's a challenge to those systems that are gearing up to start up, beat the 98%. That's, uh, yeah. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating. Subscribe and turn on notifications. So, Michelle, have you talked about the differences um, a little bit earlier? Can you, there must be or are there guidelines um, on how to set up a deposit return system? Thanks for asking. Uh, yes, uh, and, and it's coming from, from Tamra. Uh, the white paper, which is called Rewarding Recycling, it was released in early 2021. And here it really uh, describes how to idly set up a DRS to reach best performance. And actually it, it uh, kind of communicates four principles and a total of 12 elements which should be applied together. So it's not uh, like a wish list where one can pick from and say one, this one, and this one not. But it's really recommended to apply all those uh, key elements. 
and uh, this then will lead to uh, to a good solution which will address global waste challenges and advance a circular economy and just just to 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 highlight the principles it's about performance uh, then it's talking about producer responsibility it's talking about convenience and system integrity and each of those of those principles is then clustered in three elements where we talk about uh, the the scope of the containers covered, the deposit value, targets on return rate, and then the producer responsibility is looking into uh, the responsibility, the extended uh, uh, producer responsibility for the financing. It's about the reinvestment of the unredeemed deposit and the material value. It's uh, requirements on the recycled content. Then uh, we have the convenience, uh, which looks at the convenient redemption for the consumers or convenience uh, in the return. It's about the, uh, and we talked about this already, about the separately charged and fully reimbursed deposit. And also about clear visual marking and marking as such for the consumer also. So this, of course, has different purposes, not only for the consumer, but it's also for the take back. So a container should carry a, a visual, rather a visual logo than written information. Uh, for example, in Croatia, previous years, it was uh, in small letters in Croatian language. You notice that this is a deposit container. Difficult to understand for every tourist, for everybody who's not speaking the language. Uh, now they're using a visual logo uh, this is also kind of uh, advertised on the shelves, etc., so that everybody knows this is a deposit container. This is a, a signal for the consumer when holding and owning or having the container, but also for manual returns. So if you go to a manual store, then the manual store, they need to somehow prove the eligibility of the container. And this could well and easily be done through the existence uh, of the of the marking. Last but not least, talking about system integrity, then it's uh, we are promoting definitely a centralized uh, operated system. It requires uh, reporting uh, and uh, consumer communication, reporting to the government, uh, communication with the consumer, and then also government enforcement is needed. So what happens if targets, for example, which are set are not met. There must be consequences and so on. So if you if you take all this into consideration and look into the well-working systems of this world, then there is no need to develop something really from scratch, but kind of piggyback on the achievements and the and the already run through kinder diseases of the of the other markets. Okay, but and this all sounds good and logical and um you make it sound easy, but I'm guessing it's not. But there are 12 elements, 12. That's a lot to get together and, and put into a system, I think. What would you say is absolutely necessary? This is These are things you absolutely cannot do without to make a system. Yeah. Successful. Okay, successful. The question is what means successful? I guess we're saying that DRS is comprehensive, is reaching the high targets, with best effects for the environment and also the limited resources, and this at a moderate or acceptable price. If 
that is the gun of the, the understanding about successful. Let's define it that way, yes. Then I would say it's uh, it's probably the, the, the highest impact on, on the return rate uh, and by this all the consequences for the environment, taking out uh, the, of the environment, no littering and so on, is definitely coming from two elements. It's one, the deposit value, and two, the convenience of the return system. So the deposit value should be high enough to motivate majority of the consumers to treat the packaging as a resource rather than trash and hence return the containers after the consumptions. To really make it worth their while to bring it back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And the case of redemption data, they show that a meaningful deposit level really effectively drives the, the, the container returns and taking them out of the waste stream and bring it into the recycling stream. And uh, one could say the higher the deposit amount placed on the beverage container, the higher the collection rate. But of course, one, one needs to have a kind of a balanced mm. amount. It should not uh, go for a euro and, and above. That is definitely not needed. So Germany, for example, uh, they're using a 25 euro cents flat deposit for all single-use containers. And by this, as I said before, reaching this world-class uh, result of 98% in return rate. And I said before, it's intransparent. It's, it's not a centralized system. So this assumption is an assumption which is not coming from us, but it's assumed by insiders and by, uh, by the standard setting organization. So we have somebody who talked about standards for all players uh, to cope with, uh, which is DPG. Uh, but uh, this organization is operationally not involved really involved. So they're not coordinating and running this. Whereas, so talking about 25 cents, this is uh, not the highest. We see higher deposits values, like for example, 40 cents on some containers in in Finland, uh, where they have kind of a staggered value setting for different sizes, different categories, different uh, materials. But uh, 25 cents is definitely on the on the higher end. Whereas on the other side, looking at the deposit systems in the U.S., there one uh, finds the, the lowest deposit values in the world, which are five euro cent, uh, five dollar cents, which is even less than and five uh, euro cents. And um, as as we also said, uh, those systems, most of them have been established and not been renewed since the 70s and 80s of last century. So uh, at that time, five cent was meaningful uh, to the consumer, but due to inflation uh, and and kind of the value kind of degraded, those low values then lead to the fact that uh, most of the U.S. systems they they really provide lowest performance if you compare them in the league of the deposit markets. Okay. Uh, now coming to the second important driver for well-performing deposit system, and that is the return location. It should be easy and convenient to reach. So uh, this is why we say that the return to retail model, and not say we see it in the results, is so successful. 
it means no extra trip for the consumers. They can simply combine the shopping. So they do the shopping and then do the recycling at the same time. And the normal order is you step into the market and in the entrance area. Now it's very common to have the recycling in the entrance area. You redeem your recyclables, you get your receipt, you get into the shop, you do the shopping, and then at the checkout, you present your receipt, and then you can uh, kind of pay uh, with your deposit part of your purchase. However, there is no obligation to buy products for the deposit value. So if you only want to redeem, you can also go in, present your receipt, get your money, and off you are. And the, the combination of the, of the shopping and the recycling, what does that mean? That means, of course, it has a benefit for the environment because there is no extra trip to be done. That means no extra traffic, no extra emissions. And uh, it's uh, not only the beverage industry producing the beverages in single-use packs, uh, which might end up in nature but it's also the retailers being part of the challenge as they're selling the beverages to the consumers. And therefore, they also should be somehow involved in realizing a circular economy for the beverage containers, being involved through the collection of the containers. This is not the case everywhere. Uh, and we talked about the different solutions. It could be a return to retail. It could be a depot. In the US, for example, many of the connection points, they are dedicated depots where people just have to drive to return the containers. So this is for, for sure then creates extra traffic. Those depots, they are not set up in just uh, or in such a dense network as the retail network. So they're outside of the, the retail stores, right? Not where they go to pick up groceries. There's, it's a separate... They, they are separate. And of course, they are also not in these posh areas where you have high rents. They're rather in the industrial zones. So you have to drive there. You have okay. to... Uh, you, you will create extra emissions through that. Mm. And it's not something you would normally combine with the shopping. So you have to go there just for the purpose of doing the recycling. And, and then, of course, it's a, it's a question, uh, a kind of a trade-off, a calculation about time spent, about money spent for fuel uh, against the, the amount you receive back in deposit. So ultimately, this will impact the overall return rate of the, of the system. And this is what we see. So it's a combination really of, of both. It's low deposit values in the U.S. It's a not too convenient or inconvenient collection infrastructure. And that both leads then to the to the low return rates. Uh, some are below sixty percent, which is is unfortunate, but that's the case because they are not designed. The concept as such, the deposit works, but you need to adjust all the kind of the the possible level levers exactly to reach also the the maximum uh, from the system up to a certain extent one can assume that one of the four mentioned uh, key elements, deposit or convenience, can somehow compensate for the other. So, for example, if the deposit is rather on the low level, but the return infrastructure is extremely dense and convenient, then still one can assume that the, the return rate could be decently high. 
and the other way around. So if it's extremely high in deposit value, but you have a bad infrastructure for the collection, then you would would rather consider going there, even though it's a longer way, but you get high amount of money back. But of course, none of both is kind of idle. And therefore, an ideal thing should be to find a balance between the deposit value and the uh, intensity or density of the of the infrastructure. I, I said those are the two probably relevant, most 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 relevant uh, elements uh, on the, the of the twelve ones. Nevertheless, to really uh, reach something successful, one should also take all the other ten in consideration and not fully neglect them. So you won't reach something just by having a high deposit value and and a good infrastructure. You would need to set targets and a lot of other things, elements, uh, kind of defined or recommended in the in the white paper to really reach something long-lasting, sustainable, viable. And I think the beauty of these principles and elements are that yes, you need to take them all into consideration. But because you can and should probably adjust them to local conditions, local situations, um, it's really something that a model that can be used throughout the world Absolutely. in some form and fashion. Michelle, thanks so much for your time and explaining what is going on in DRS around the world today. We look forward to having you back in a couple of weeks to talk about what to expect in the future, both here in Europe and around the globe. Thank you, me too. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating, subscribe, and turn on notifications. To comment on this episode, visit circular-economy.tomra.com slash podcast.